there today. As I was praying then, I just felt like I said to God, God, what would it look like today if we spent the whole time just being reverent before you? What does that look like? I don't know. I mean, I wonder sometimes whether our fear of tradition has moved us away a little bit from reverence and fear to be liked. Um, you know, I need to be liked, sorry. I need to be relevant. I need to be culturally normal. I need to have everyone enjoy church. It's almost made us scared sometimes of just being reverent before the Lord. You see, there is something about a cathedral, isn't there? There is something about them. I, I wouldn't go to worship there every Sunday, but there's something about walking into that building. You understand it. Why? Because you can tell that people have gone above and beyond in their reverence and honor of the Lord by building. And they've built something physical that says God is bigger and better than anything we can ask or imagine. That's what they've done. So when you walk into a cathedral, you understand what I'm saying? Anyone been to Barcelona? La Grada Familia? What a cathedral. You walk in there and you think, wow, there is something about this place. There is a presence. There is a reverence towards God. And obviously now church is moving to meeting in clubs and centers and schools. And, but I don't want us to lose that reverence. Because the presence of God should cause us to have reverence, not the building, not. And so I just asked as I was sitting there thinking, God, what, what would it look like today if we just had reverence before you? So the answer is I don't know. But I want to try. Is that all right this morning? So maybe the preach might be a bit different today. And, uh, but who is he is the, is the sermon series. And I just figure, well, let's just find out. Let's just speak to him ourselves. And let's, let's meet with him today, if that's okay. Let me read the Bible verse to you, though, and that will maybe start us off. And then we'll, we'll see what God might want to say and what God might want to do. I may preach a bit, but I just... I just want to acknowledge the reverence and just encourage it in us. In 1 Colossians verse 15, it says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God the Father was pleased to have all his fullness dwell within him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. Lord Jesus. We acknowledge your presence here today. We respect your authority, God.
we acknowledge some things that have been said this morning. Through Mandy, God, you told us that we have no other option. God, we acknowledge that this morning as a church. We have no other option. Church is not an option. Where else can we go? Who else has eternal life as a gift? Who else has it? Who else can offer us freedom from sin? Who else can, who can heal our sickness? Who else can do it, God? We have nowhere else to go. We acknowledge that we absolutely need you. You're an essential part of our life. God, we also acknowledge that you are holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what the angels sing to you all day long, God. We recognize that you are holy. You are the one that is set apart, that is different, that is pure, that is the way it should be. We are not that. We are trying to become that. And through your son, Jesus Christ, we can become it. We acknowledge that, God. We acknowledge that we have been sinful, that we were once sinful, but we are now saved and we are now saints because of what you have done for us. God, and we acknowledge that you are worthy. That you're worthy of every thought, every word, every action. And we mean that, God. I don't just say that as a nice cleat. I mean me giving every second of my life to devoted in, to you is not extreme. It's not an extreme way to live or being an extreme believer. That is the way it should be as a believer. That everything we have belongs to him. Because the truth is we are relying on his grace more than we think we are. The Bible says in Job 42 that I repent in dust and ashes. Why did Job say that? Because he remembered, he remembered that in Genesis 2, without the breath of God, we are but dust and ashes. So God, we recognize right now in reverence and respect of who you are, that we are nothing without you. In fact, we are dust and ashes. That is all we can offer the world. We are simply the dust of the floor. But God, you saw it and you saw potential and you breathed your life into it and created and formed man. You created and formed this body which I stand. You gave me breath in my lungs. My heart beats because you decided for it to be. I live in a world because you decided this world should be. I sit in the warmth of the sun because you said, let there be light, God. You decided it like this. And God, I recognize it, God. And Jesus, I pray for the, the people in stains with their eyes be open to those that walk around already living in the blessing and the abundance of God, but they do not acknowledge you, God. And I pray there'd be a breakthrough in that, in this town. I pray eyes would be open to you, God. That people, our friends and family, would suddenly go to us, I've realized, I've realized, I need God. He is in charge of everything. I've done nothing without his permission already. All things were created through you so that you might have the supremacy over them. We're going to take our time with this. I don't want to rush it. I know sometimes it might be awkward. I know you might be thinking, oh, I wish you'd just speak to us and it's easier and I can just sit there and listen. No, no. Church is an engagement. It's not an attendance. You don't, you don't just attend church and sit like the theater. It's an engagement. It's, it's more like the gym, if you would. You come here to engage with God, to wrestle with him, to, to learn from him. 
So right now, just tell yourself, I'm going to focus in, I'm going to focus in. And focus in by saying, God, you are allowed to be supreme over my life. He is supreme over everything, but God is so loving and so caring that he said to his creation mankind, he said, you can choose whether I'm supreme over you. I'm supreme over all things, but you can choose it. You can say no to me. You can choose the fruit of the tree. You can choose another lifestyle. You can choose another God. You can choose to worship Baal. You can choose to live with materialism. You can choose a different lifestyle if you'd like. But if you want me to be supreme, you have to let me be fully supreme. Will you let God be supreme of your life today? And by that, I mean that he has the say. He has every thought. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you. Do you know, some people have often asked me and challenged me on whether I'm a bit as extreme as a Christian. I'll be honest, I used to wear a hoodie that said Jesus freak on it, and maybe that was a bit far, but people have often challenged me and said, you know, you don't have to take it that far. But I honestly think if Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, then he has to be the Lord of my life. So if I get up early and pray and I spend all night praying and I fast and I don't drink alcohol and I do this and I do that, whatever it is you have to do in your walk for you and God, that's just what you've got to do, right? I had a friend who once said to me, Liam, I think you're in a cult. Anybody ever had that before? I think you're in a cult, Liam. And I said, why do you think I'm in a cult? And he said, well, cults are a group of people that make you do extreme things. And this was when I was a teenager. He said, Liam, you don't drink alcohol at all. I said, that's just weird. You don't drink alcohol at all. And he said, and, and you're not having sex outside of marriage. He said, Liam, these are extreme things. You're in a cult. They're just telling you to live an extreme way. And they're trying to control your life. And he just didn't understand. And I sort of said to him, I said, well, look, look mate, what, what do you want? What, 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 would you, what would it take for you to understand what I'm trying to say? What, what, what would you need to believe in God, what would need to happen? Where's the line that you would then say, right, that's it, God is now real. Try that with when you're evangelizing, by the way. Say, where's the line that you would change? It's always funny to find. Where's the line? And he said, Liam, God would have to come down to earth himself, wave at me and say, I am God. I looked in with a smile on my face and I said, what do you think Jesus did? He didn't really know the response and most of the time, people don't really want to change. To have the, they don't have the debate to change. They just have the debate because they want to win and feel better about themselves. So he didn't change, but I've been coming to learn that it's okay when I'm extreme for God, even if other people do not understand or do not like it. Do you agree with that? <laughs> Jesus has every second of our life, every second of my life, every decision that happens, everything that turns around, everything that happens. God has full authority and supremacy in it. Does he have that for your life? Does TV have more of your life than God? I'm reading a book on prayer right now and it keeps attacking TV and making me feel very convicted about it. He said on average, um, young people these days watch 40 hours of TV a week. I expect now that might be different on their phone, but if you, if you look at your phone, you can even look at your phone now. It tells you how long you've been on it on the day. Hours some people spend on their phone a day, but we do not spend hours with the Lord. 
you know what I mean? We have, what a privilege. What a privilege to be able to spend time with the Lord. We, Jesus died so that you and I can enter the throne room with confidence and grace. That's what Hebrews tells us. We can enter with, sorry, with um, confidence and humility. And we can enter the throne room of God and we can directly communicate with God while having a shower. You can't do that with the queen on earth, people. If you want to meet the queen, they send you protocol before. Here's what you have to say. Here's what you have to do. You can't do that with the queen. But with God, he's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And he says, I just want to connect with you. You and I have a privilege to do it. If you had the queen's phone number, how often would you call her? If you knew she was going to answer. But we have God with us all the time. We can connect with him at any moment of the day. And I feel like we're wasting this privilege sometimes. I'm not... I'm sure you're not. Maybe it's just me. I'm sure you are all really holy, yes? But I think sometimes, <laughs> Ben's like, yes, I am. You are holy, amen. But I want us to not be afraid to just, to go for it. To let our love for God be expressionate and passionate. Not be afraid to dedicate whole nights to him. As Emily was telling us last week, to take him shopping, right, Em? Is that, is that how we do it? <laughs> Have you been getting adventurous this week? Has that happened? Did you come last week? I want us not to be afraid of it. not afraid of the uncomfortableness sometimes. Lord Jesus, I pray right now you would meet with us in this place. God, we open up our lives to you. We open up our minds to you. May we be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God, come and meet with us. Come and speak to us. We give our lives to you, God. We are reverent before you this morning. We respect who you are. And if you're thinking right now, well, I'm a little bit uncomfortable. Trust me, if the queen was walking down the line to shake your hand, you probably feel uncomfortable as well. There is something about the presence of someone higher and above you that just brings a, an intimidation and nervousness in you. And so sometimes it's fine to feel like that with God, to be like, God, I have such a respect and awe of you. That's why the Bible says we must fear the Lord. It's not fear as in be afraid. It's fear as in have an awe and respect that when they enter the room, you might even change what you're doing in accordance to them entering your, in the, the room. Because my father would enter the room when we were boys, we would change the way we behave with each other. Anyone ever done that before? We would stop doing something because the presence of the Father entered the room. In fact, Pastor K is a great example. He, he gets extremely well honored in Nigeria. In fact, I've seen it before that there was a party once. People all having food and eating and there was 
someone hosting and they were all having a great time and Pastor Kay walked in the room with a bit of an entourage which he normally has and and as he walked in the room everyone stopped the party stopped and everyone stood up to respect the man of God that walked in the house I'll tell you what I stood up straight away you just do right because you don't want to be the one that's not but there was a respect a fear an admiration an awe of what he carried and what God had placed in him and I just wonder whether we need to have that again with God Am I getting across? Is this helping somebody? Is this not? Let, should I come up from another tack? Let me, let me try something else so that it sticks with us. In my research, um, trying to study for this series, I've been reading a book, by the way, called um, Who Is This Man by John Ortberg. If you're taking notes, write that one down. You'll enjoy this book. And it just tells us of how Jesus has been supreme over the whole of the earth. And I wonder whether I could share some facts and figures with you about how good and how influential Jesus Christ has actually been. Is that good? Because the Bible says that he has supremacy over everything and that all things were created through him and for him. And he holds all things together. And actually this man, John Ortberg, states that really he is involved in everything, especially in the Western world where he has been honored. And there have been countries that are Christian countries. So much has been influenced by the teachings of Christ. that It is actually impossible to escape him. So let me, share, let me share it like this. Jesus actually never owned his own house. He never wrote his own book. He never led an army. He never even led a country. And he never even traveled abroad. He was a poverty-stricken carpenter who was crucified. And he only managed to gather 12 followers while he lived. One of them betrayed him. And the others abandoned him at his funeral, apart from one guy called John. And actually, they were quite unimportant, unschooled, not very well thought of people. They reckon their age is between 12 and 21, which means that they were young people as well. And he left the church in the hands of a group of young people who had no idea really what they were doing. But now, Jesus has an estimated 2.2 billion followers. Majority of countries in the world celebrate his birthday, even if they don't believe in him. I love that one. I think that's hilarious. They celebrate his birthday and his, his death is still a public holiday for many countries. I'll let you know that uh, we now actually based our whole timeline around him. Have you ever thought about this? When the Bible says he's the king of kings and lord of lords, it really means it. Because actually every king and every lord that has ever existed has to align themselves to the timeline of Jesus. So every king dies in something A.D. or B.C., before Christ or Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. So your birthday, the day you get married, your first kiss, and the day that you die will all be based around some other guy, and his name was Jesus. He is clearly the most influential figure in the past millennia, two millennia. Not only that, but he's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. When he, was, when he was alive, if you had said to Somebody at the time of Jesus, you said, well, this Jesus guy, he'll be the one that outlasts the Romans. They would have laughed at you. But now we call our children after Peter, John, and James, and we call our dogs after Nero and Caesar. I thought that was a funny line. That wasn't mine. I don't take credit. Not only that, but Jesus impacted absolutely everything that goes on around you. You may not even realize it. Jesus' teaching about children changed the way they got treated. In fact, he gave children status. 
Before that, in ancient times, they were not treated with the same status as an adult, especially if you were a female. In fact, back then, females were often thrown away as babies because they did not want to be wanted. Jesus gave them status, and when he left, a group of his believers started to remember his teaching that said, let the children come to me. So much so that they started to take all those kids that got thrown out, and they put them in a house, and they started teaching them and loving them and caring for them, and it became the orphanage movement. Not only that, but they started to teach them, started to teach the children. See, back then, you would only get taught if you were uh, uh, like a a boy in a high-flying kind of family. If you were rich enough, you would get taught if you were a boy and a boy only. But they started, the followers of Jesus started to teach anybody that came through the door, and it started something called schools. In fact, that progressed even more that when people started to want more knowledge and want more knowledge of God, they created something called universities. The first universities in Paris and England were actually made for the one idea to discover and learn more about Jesus. Oxford University's motto is, the Lord is my light. Not only that, but the first 120 American universities had the same principle. We must create a place of further learning in order to dive deeper into the scriptures. That's why they did it. Christians also began caring for the sick, especially those with crazy infectious diseases, which was quite common at the time and would wipe out large groups of population. The Christians were the ones, when everyone else was kicking them out of town and telling them to go somewhere else, they would actually gather them in one place and start caring for them, often at their own cost of their own lives. And do you know what we started to call those? Hospitals. The impact of Jesus' teaching goes absolutely all through, especially the Western world. It makes up most of our laws, and it makes up most of our behavior and social etiquette towards each other. Is this helping somebody? Not only that, but there are some also crazy things that Christian followers started to create in order to help them know more about Jesus. You see, studying of the scripture got so intense and so desired and so needed that actually monks started to write down any scripture and any book that they could find. And actually, very often, they, they actually wrote down a lot of the historical documents from that time. So a lot of things we know about ancient Rome and all these kind of things is because Christian people wrote it down. And actually, they started to write down to the wee hours of the night that they lost track of time. So they started to invent something called a clock. Not maybe as you and I know it, but they started to measure time so in order they could know what time of the day it was so they could make sure they had the right thing. And when the light got low, when the light got low, monks would figure out ways to create things that we might now call glasses in order to be able to read the scripture in low lights. Also, because of monks and their following of Jesus, the believers of Jesus, we have things known as languages and textbooks. They started to write down actual language that maybe had not existed in the same way before. And because of Jesus, we have also now got one major book, which is the Bible. This book has sold estimated five billion copies. More than Harry Potter, Jamie, yes. Five billion copies The book is written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors in palaces and in prisons, written by princes and the poor. And all of it points towards one guy, our protagonist, Jesus Christ. His influence is beyond our understanding, beyond our recognition. recognition. And this is only like my take of some of the book that came when I've been reading it. 
There is a whole book. In fact, there's many books written about the impact that Jesus had. So let me just end by saying this one thing, this one line that stuck out to me. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace to the name of Jesus, what would be left? He is supreme over all things. He is the hinge of history. That's the Jesus we follow. If you ever start to doubt God or wonder whether he's really real, just look around you. His evidence is all around. And what he asks from us is is our life. You see, it's nice to say he's supreme over the world. Because if you say supreme over the world but not over you, that means you don't have to change. But as soon as you say he is supreme over me, it means you then and I then have to change the way we look, think, feel. This is why you meet a lot of unbelievers who will say things like, I do believe in a higher power. Have you ever had that? Or I do believe in something out there. I do believe in this idea or something out there. They do not like to give it a name because if you give it the name Jesus, that means you then have to conform and change in order and in line with his teachings. Very often when we're evangelizing, we're not trying to convince people of Jesus. We're trying to allow them to be changed by Jesus. Convincing people of God's existence is actually not that hard. Just, I just look at the list I just showed you. In fact, he's so provable as a historical figure, it's not even funny. He's more provable than Julius Caesar. I'm sure you know all these stars. I don't know, but maybe you don't. But maybe if you do, it doesn't matter because he's so easily provable. But the problem is not convincing people that he exists. It's convincing people to let him be supreme over their life. Who is he? He is supreme. Can he be supreme for you? Can he be supreme for me? And in that passage, it says that he is the head of the church. Can I say that he is the head of this church? He is the head of this church. Emily and I are not the head. We are the leaders, the pastors, the mother or father, whatever label you feel most comfortable with. That's what we're doing here. We are leading the vision that God has placed on the house of this church. But God is in charge. Trust me, I didn't always want to go to Europe. I'm quite happy to sit somewhere and build something and make it last. But God told us to go to Europe. It was God's vision. People keep saying to me, Liam, what's your vision for the church? I'm like, I don't have one. I just accepted the one that God gave me. And that's now my vision. That now belongs to me because I've owned it. It can now belong to you in just the same way if you accept it and own it. He is in charge of this church. If you have a problem with it, if you have a problem with this church, Please speak to him first. I don't have as much power as he has to change it. I know the temptation would be to come to me, but because we know, we know, don't we? If I go to Jesus, he might point out some stuff that I need to change. Whereas if I go to my leaders, I can just vent on them and leave it with them. If I go to Jesus, though, he, I, he can't be wrong. So if he, if he says something to me, he's them right. Whereas my leader, even if he says something that's truthful, I can pretend that they're lying. Or they don't understand. But Jesus is in charge of this church. Trust me, me and Emily go to Jesus about this church before we come. If there's a problem in this church, if there's a problem with somebody, if there's an issue in your life, trust me, I go to Jesus before I come to you about it. Because most of the time, Jesus says to me, I'll take care of it. Jesus is in charge of this church. He is supreme over the whole world. He is supreme over this gathering right here, right now. He is supreme over us. I'm asking you again, can he be supreme over you?
Can he? Can he be supreme over you? I always love this. I think I'll close in a minute, but I always love the surprise of Christians when they uh, get challenged on a certain part of their behavior or lifestyle that needs to change. I'm always amazed. Maybe it's because I spent most of my ministry with young people, and they're obviously bit, maybe a bit more dramatic sometimes. But the reaction sometimes to the fact that you, you and I need to change always blows my mind. Because I've entered this relationship with God where he has given me the identity of Jesus Christ and he's placed that upon my life. I'm now a new creation. Anyone else a new creation? I'm a new creation. And then my job is then to live like that creation. That's going to take me my whole life to figure out until I really get to heaven. So I'm going to spend my whole life changing me in order to be more like Jesus. Anybody else want to be 70 or 80 or maybe some in the room 90 and you're still changing to be more like Jesus Christ? Is that what you want? That's what I want. But then that means, people, that means, you said yes to it. That means if you want to get to that place, that means every step of the way you have to acknowledge something about yourself that is not Jesus and then say, Jesus, but you are supreme. So in that case, I will change what I am and the way I think and the way I feel in order to be more like you even if it makes me feel so angry and uncomfortable doing it. Let, let me throw it another way. Let me throw it another way. Put your hand up for me if you've ever lied before, ever. Ever in your life. In fact, hold them up if you've lied multiple times. Everyone, please join in with this. No one is too big to not answer this question. Okay. Someone put in two hands. That's good. That's good. That's good humility. Now put your hands down. Put your hands down. What do you call someone that lies? A liar. Now, if I came up to you tomorrow and walked up to you and said, you are a liar, would you be offended? Yes. The truth is now you can say, actually, I'm a saint. Thank you very much. I've been forgiven of all my sin. That is true. You can say that. But what I'm trying to acknowledge and let yourself acknowledge is that we are these things. We know we are. We are imperfect, we know, but this comes a crunch moment when Jesus then points it out on us or the Holy Spirit convicts us or another believer challenges us or maybe even our leader sits us down and says, I think there's something you need to change here. But in those moments, that is when it becomes real because that's when you have to feel the pain of it and say, actually, I acknowledge what I've done wrong here and I'm now going to change. It might be easier when you lie, but it's harder when God says that thing you've been holding on to, that fear that you've been holding on to the whole of your life, I want to remove it. That crutch that you have been leaning on, thinking that it's really supporting you, I actually want to change it. You know that? Have you ever been there with God? This is where you get ugly with God, right? What I'm trying to let you in on is I'm trying to let you in on the cost of making Jesus supreme of your life. This is part of the cost. Is that he will then be in control of your life. And he may do things you do not understand and you do not like. If you don't know that, read the Bible. There are so many stories of it. Is this helping somebody? He is supreme over everything. Do you believe that? He is supreme over this church. Do you believe that? Now can he be supreme over you? Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus. We come reverently again before you. I thank you and acknowledge the reverence of this place today. I thank you for the people here who have been so respectful and 
reverent towards you. I love this family. I love what we're building here, God. But right now, in this moment, I ask that you'd be supreme over my life. I do it as an example to my family here. You can wake me up at any hour. You can tell me to go to any place. You can tell me to say whatever I need to say to whoever I need to say it to. God, you are in charge. I will change whatever you do not like, whatever you do not want. I will actually abandon myself. I will actually die to myself in order to be more like you. God, that's what I say to you in prayer. And now I pray for everybody here. May they be the same. If you'd like to, just start telling him right now. Just start praying. Start telling him. Say, God, you are supreme of my life. Even if that's the only line you say. I don't mind if you acknowledge it in your head. I don't mind if you say it out loud. But if that's true for you, say it. Even when I'm tired, even when I'm frustrated, even when I'm angry, even when I'm annoyed, God, you are still in charge. Even when I'm in absolute pain, even when I'm suffering from loss and grief, even when I just want to just lash out, God, you are still in charge. 